Manifesting Brilliance is about bringing forward the light that already shines deep within you. It's about empowering yourself to be the person that your source is calling you to be. You are already perfect, whole, and complete. Now is the time to claim and step into your divine power and purpose. There is nothing your holiness cannot do. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Manifesting Brilliance Living Your Authentic Life podcast. My name is Jerome Emhoff. I am a career coach and life coach with a practice in Palm Springs, and it's my honor and privilege to welcome you to our conversation today. Uh, today, we have a special guest, and I'll introduce her in a moment. But before we do that, just to kind of give us some uh, historical context for today. Today is August 11th. It's Gunkle's Day, um, which is Gay Uncle's Day. Um, and since I'm a gay uncle, um, I just wanted to mention that because I want it to be a real thing. So if my nieces or nephews are listening to me, uh, on this podcast, you can send Gunkel gifts to me anytime. They'll be late, but that's great. Um, also, uh, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, millions of people, I've, I've lost track of the number of people who have uh, contracted coronavirus. We're reaching close to 200,000 deaths in the United States. So wherever you are listening to this, um, I send you love and light in healing energy. Uh, we are all in this together. I heard someone say, uh, we're in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. So all of our circumstances are different. And my heart goes out to you, uh, regardless of what you're, you're going through. I've been fortunate because I work from home and my business hasn't had a huge impact. Um, but I know that there are people out there who are struggling and wondering how they're going to make against meat and so um and lots of other different scenarios so wherever you are uh i hold space for you i i keep you in my thoughts and prayers um so before we begin our conversation too if it's safe for you to do so uh please close your eyes and we'll just take a moment to ground ourselves in this moment right hand on your heart left hand over your right hand and we take a deep breath in And we just call to mind the fact that our breath is the very breath of spirit. That when God created us, God breathed into us. So it's God's breath that animates us. We see in the middle of our minds a little ball of golden light. We watch this light grow larger and larger until now it fills the entire inner vision of our minds. We see for ourselves within this light a beautiful temple. We see a garden which surrounds the temple and a body of water which flows through the garden. We notice that the inside of the temple is lit as well with the same beautiful golden light. And here we are. For we've been called by the power and into the presence of God. We pray that God God's Holy Spirit would uplift us above all doubt, above all anxiety, all illusion, 
to the peace that lay beyond. And we pray that God's Holy Spirit would lead us to be the men, the women, the people that God would have us be. And so it is, together we all say, Amen. So it is my honor and privilege today to welcome Deborah Stroud to the podcast. Listen to this podcast before you know that I record from my home in uh, Palm Springs, California. Debbie is in Kentucky, and so please forgive us if you hear any background noises or additional sounds. Um, It's just part and parcel of being a low-tech grassroots uh, podcast. So uh, hopefully my editing skills will will work okay, and the little mishap we just had will not appear in the podcast. Um, So Debbie Stroud and I met is part of, we're both involved in a coaching training program uh, with a mutual friend uh, by the name of Jason McLean. And I uh, serendipitously, you know, the group has just been amazing. And the first time I heard Debbie even open her mouth, I knew she was a kindred spirit. And, um, and then I heard her story and I was like, she needs to be on the podcast. So this is how I'm going to describe Debbie Strap. Debbie is an artist a teacher, a creative spirit, and a beautiful soul. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Debbie to the podcast. And Debbie, could you just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and the work you do? Sure. Thank you, Jerome. And, you know, it never ceases to amaze me that the universe, God, puts people in our path that's supposed to be there, those kindred spirits. It's always a beautiful thing when that happens, right? That's a part of the trainings that I love the most. So um, a little bit about me. Okay, so um, I was raised in the southern Bible Belt of the United States, Kentucky, and um, I was enmeshed in uber-strict religion most of my life. It was my lens of normal, and um, I never, from the time that I can remember, there's so many things now that I look back as that I thought were normal at the time that were not normal at all. Um, I had no decision-making skills because I was never allowed the opportunity to make any decisions. So how that manifested in my life especially was, number one, I have one brother, and my brother and I were never, ever allowed to fight. We were never, ever allowed to argue. And if, if my parents caught us arguing or having any conflict at all, we were disciplined with a belt. And as a result of that, I really shied away from any problem-solving skills. I had none of those. I had no decision-making skills. So as a teenager, I've always been a creative. I've always been very, very musical. And I used my musical talents in the church from an early age, like from the sixth grade on. I was a musician either in the band or singing or doing some kind of creative thing. And, um, so as an extroverted 16 year old who was a people person, but had no decision-making skills that really got me into a lot of trouble as far as dating goes, because I, I thought that number one, I had to date people who were only in the church. There was no other alternative. Number two, I didn't have any choice of who I dated because if a teenage guy showed an interest in me, it was my obligation 
to go out with that person and my likes were irrelevant. Again, you know, our viewers will probably be thinking that is ludicrous and it really was, but it was my normal and it's, that's all I knew. And so that's how my life went. And as a result of that, um, you can imagine the kind of relationships I attracted, um, overbearing, um, abusive because there was no consequences, abusive, overbearing. Um, it was like a Russian roulette of romance and every single time the bullet hit me. Uh -huh. Um, so I, I used to be really ashamed of my past and I've moved so past that because I know that by sharing my story, it helps to set people free. And so I've been married a, a total of four times in my wow. life. I am 54 years old and I have been single for a number of years. Um, two of my marriages were mandated by the church. I didn't have any choice in the matter. Um, let me say that I didn't think I had any choice in the matter. Of course, we always have a choice, but back then I really didn't believe that I had a choice. And so, um, long story short, uh, as a single mom, after again, another failed relationship and me wondering what in the world was going on and why I could not have a successful relationship. I found myself at the age of 35 as a single mom with no marketable skills and I was divorced. And I'm raising these, these three girls on my own with no child support because my choice in men, and I didn't even think it was my choice at the, same, at the, at the time, um, my children's father were men who did not want to take responsibility after the marriage was over. And so I remember going in one day, and I was on food stamps. I was on government housing. I live in government housing. I had... Uh, Medicaid for insurance because I had no marketable skills and um, there was a certain amount of uh, guilt and shame that I carried for a long time just because um, I was in that situation and I want to say this because if somebody had said this to me in when I was in that place in my life I probably would have been validated and I would not have felt as bad about myself but those things are in place for people who need them those things are in place for people who are not in the vicious cycle and find themselves, especially in today's, as we are in the middle of a pandemic and people have lost jobs, people have lost this and that. And in that, in talking about this, there's, I'm in no way saying that you, if you take advantage of those programs, you are less than because those programs got me through. They helped keep my kids fed and a roof over our heads. And for that, I will forever be grateful. And um, as I look back now, it was just another way that God provided for me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I can remember one day sitting, I had gone to renew my food stamp benefits and I'm sitting in the office and there's this new worker and she says to me, um, so you don't receive any child support? Like she was incredulous and I was like, no, ma'am, I, you know, I don't. And she said, um, today's your lucky day. And I thought, how the heck is this going to be my lucky day? Do you know the kind of life I live? And she said, um, there's a new program. And, and she said, I'm going to offer it to you. And she said, it just came available. It's a new program. It's called KTAP and it's for single moms who don't receive any child support. And so you can go back to college. We will help you with medical bills. We will help you keep upkeep on your car. We will replace the tires every two years on your vehicle. I mean, she just kept going on and on. I was like, how can this even be real? And so long story short, a miraculous door opened for me to go to college. 
And I did. When my middle daughter entered college as a freshman, I entered college as a freshman. And we, um, we went to the same college. We rode together every day. It was, a, it was a new opportunity for me to see my daughter in a new way. And it was an opportunity for her to see me in another role, too. And, and she got a lot of ribbing, you know, and they would, like, say, uh, your mom goes to college, you know, those things. Well, there would be her mom. <laughs> and <laughs> they, they determined that her mom wasn't a bad person. After all, her mom was pretty cool and pretty fun because I was really artsy. So it was a lot of opportunities for growth in a lot of different areas. And um, that, ironically enough, was really my break from religion. Because when I when I started college back, um, if you've ever been in college full time, you know that it rocks your world. It takes a Absolutely. lot of time. Yeah. I lived an hour from campus. I drove an hour each way, and I had three girls that were still at home. And um, so I, I was, at that point in time, I was the music minister at my church, and I was right, handwriting. Now, this was, this was uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, and I had, I would get out all of the music for the, for the music on, on each service, Wednesday, Sunday morning and Sunday night, we met three times a week and we had a 12 piece orchestra. So since I was really good at music and I was naturally inclined, I can read music by both ear. I can play it by ear and read by sight. And I've been classically trained. I was hand transposing music for a 12 piece orchestra, every part for every song. And, um, that took, you can imagine that took. Quite a few I was hours. a music major, so I understand how much time. I know, exactly. Yeah. And it's not that it wasn't a passion of mine. It had just gotten to the point where I was doing that on a volunteer basis. And so I sat down, honestly, after the first couple of weeks of college, and I knew that I was going to have to make a choice. And I was very, very honest. And I said, um, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to step down for a while from this volunteer position because I'm going to be able to, this is a God given opportunity that's going to give, it's going to change my life and my children's lives. And, um, I was not meant, well, let me, let me say this before I go on. The church was more than just a church. The church was my family. They were my friends. They were my social life. That church was my life. And I sat down with a pastor who I implicitly trusted more than I looked at him like a father and I explained the situation and he and his wife were both in the meeting and his wife looked at me and she said, I want you to do something for me. I was like, okay. And she said, I want you to go pray for 24 hours because I don't think you've heard from God. I don't think that this is the right thing for you. I think you just need to keep doing what you're doing. And something is going to open up. And she said, uh, and then she turned the tables kind of, and it was like this guilt trip thing. And she said, um, when things get hard, you're not supposed to pull away from God. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're supposed to press into God. And again, I still believed everything I heard because that's, that was again, my normal. That's what I'd grown up in. And this time though, for the first time, when I decided to go to college, it was the first time I'd ever chosen myself. Mm -hmm. And I knew when it comes to you, 
when you think about static and dynamic, so dynamic, you're going somewhere static, you're standing still. I was at a static point in my life. And when I felt into it, really felt into what I was feeling on the inside, going to college made me feel very expansive. Uh It made me feel like I was an infinite possibility where anything was possible and staying where I was carried this feeling into it of heaviness, hopelessness, no way out. And so I agreed and I said, okay, I'll go pray. And I did. I really fell down on my knees. And when I say that it was quite literal and I cried out to God and I said, please show me because I really want to do your will. I want to do the right thing. My heart is in the right place and you know this. And um, it's always been that way with me and God. You know, it's more than just, this figure up in heaven who's sitting with a white beard and he looks down in judgment. It's more a relationship and a trusted, like a trusted advisor. And I've come to realize since I've gotten out of religion and more into spirituality, that God is on the inside of me all the time. time. He is, he lives here. He, I am, I am a mini temple of God. God is experiencing, experiencing my life through me. And, that brings me a lot of comfort and I was not at that point. So go back, going back to the story. I came in 24 hours later, I was met at the door of the church. That may not seem significant right now, but let me tell you the story and it will. She met me at the, at the door of the church and she opened the door a little crack and she said, it's like she's, she's speaking through the crack and she said, well, did you pray? And I said, of course I prayed. And she said, well, what did you come up with? And I said, I could feel myself stepping into my authentic truth. I can't even describe to you that feeling. It was like exhilaration and horror all at the same time because I knew things were going to change Mm -hmm. one way or the other. And I said, with all due respect and all humility and all of the love that I can say in the world, this is not said to you out of anger. I said, God has opened this door for me to step through and it is nothing short of a miracle. And I'm going to step through it because I know this is the door for me. And she did not open the door. She held out her hand and I said, okay, what happens now? Because she didn't open the door and she kept her hand out and she said, I want you to turn in your key. And we are going to keep your music that you have hand transposed because it's not your music. It's the music of the church. She said, you don't own that. And she said, I want you to give me my key. Give me the key to the church and you're not welcome here anymore. And I seriously, I was not prepared for that at all. And I mean, you know, you can imagine it would be like being in a trusted, warm, loving home. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason that you have no conception of, you're kicked out of your home with all of your belongings and you're homeless. And that was my foundation. And so I, I can remember, and I'm going to get really emotional when I say this. I can remember falling down on the concrete into a sobbing heap because I didn't know what I had done wrong. 
it must have inherently been me, right? Because that's what I thought all my life. And she gently closed the door. And there I was outside the church door. And I was just on the concrete crying because I didn't. This was way out of my comfort zone. I had never been here before. So I, I went through the motions, got back in my car, went home. And, you know, I had to go ahead and continue to live life. But there was this big, big boulder in my chest. And just in talking with, and you know, this is another provision of God because the organization that I was admitted into the college under, there was a social worker just for single moms and she specialized in working with single moms. And this woman, this woman brought me out of the pit. She was an instrument of God who helped me out of, you heard of the miry clay. Well, that's where I was. And she pulled me back up and made me realize that what happened there had nothing to do with me and everything to do with the preconceived notions of the people who were there. It, you know, and it had nothing to do with God. No, it did not. A couple of things just really strike me about your story, Debbie. And, And the first is you talked about how going to college and, you know, being a university student and, and having this opportunity felt so expansive to you. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned infinite possibility. And that's who God is. So, as I understand God, God wants to have freer, fuller, more complete expansion right. living to us. That's why God created us. God was formless substance. God was pure love, pure energy. And in order to experience himself or God's self. Um, See, I'm still stuck on himself. God isn't male or female. God is just spirit and energy. But in order to experience God, he created us so that he could experience who God is through us. Right. So, and, and, but, and the other thing is, I, I don't want to be in a place of like bad mouthing the church. No. Not because at all. That's church, not what this is about. The church, and I'm not, and I don't think you are either. No, the church I'm not. in itself is not a bad thing, but unfortunately, too many Christian churches—I can only speak from a Christian perspective because that's my background—they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. They, I, I once heard a quote that, and I don't know who said it, but um, religion needs spirituality but spirituality doesn't require religion. That is and I true. think religion becomes too legalistic, too dogmatic, too much. There's too much doctrine and somehow, and I think these are well-meaning people who really right. believe that they are doing God's work and, and understanding who Jesus is. But somehow along the way, they've lost track of who that is. It's like they need to be Saul thrown off the horse with the blinding light and Jesus needs to say to them, why are you persecuting me? Because right. the church, the very people who are supposed to be loving and accepting are, um, are persecuting people. And it just breaks my heart because I think there's so much value in an understanding of who God is through through Jesus. Most definitely. Uh, 
And I, um, just to sort of come out of the closet about who I am, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic and mm-hmm. I, there are so many things I love about the Roman Catholic church. I love the, the, uh, the liturgy and the Eucharist and the sacraments. And there's just so much richness and fullness to that. And then there's the side that was created by man and the legalistic piece. And there are times when it's like, does the church even know who Jesus is? Mm-hmm. As a homosexual, you know, knowing what my church teaches about being gay and then knowing who Jesus is, Jesus would have had dinner at my house. Oh, exactly. Right? And not because, and we always say, oh, he, you know, Jesus ate with prostitutes and with, with tax collectors. Um, but don't you think that that was, that was a, it was kind of a persona I think that I don't think that it was maybe just the tax collectors and the prostitutes. It's the people who did not fit into the norms of what religious people thought they should be. People who were real. Yes. People who were, who were real and earthy and, and you feel that with certain people. And it's interesting because I've often thought about this whole notion that the church loves to say to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Oh gosh! But at the end of the day, when you're hating the sin, you're still holding this person back as less than. I love you, but I don't. I don't like how you live your life, and you're still hating. And here's the bottom line with sin: right, right. Sin is an archery term. It means you've missed the mark. You missed the target. That's it. And I don't know. I don't believe that sin is a transgression to be punished. Sin is an error to be corrected. We have, yeah. if God is love, if God is love, how is it possible for God to hate anything? Exactly. It's not possible. It's against God's nature to have hatred at all. It is. So God is all encompassing. God is love. And, and, you know, I, I had my own struggles with being a gay man, you know, um, not going to communion because right. I felt like I was out of communion with my church because I, I'm married to a man. And if I look at, you know, legalistic viewpoint of what it means to be a Roman Catholic, I absolutely have excommunicated myself. Then I have to step back and say, but I'm living authentically who I am. Yes. And my husband and I have deep love. Right. And, and, there has been so much blessing in my life. I, I just don't, I can't believe that God condemns me. And the bottom line is we put all this credence in scripture, this book that was written 2000 years ago, by we don't really know whom we don't know who wrote it. We say it's the inspired word of God. And I do believe it's inspired, but I don't think God stopped talking. I don't think God wrote that book and said everything you need to know. And so as life has progressed, we've been on this planet for millennium, right? Mm -hmm. As God has progressed, or as life has progressed, who God is has expanded. So it could have been at one point we thought a certain way about homosexuality, but our hearts have grown. And as our hearts grow, God expands. And God God says to me, Jerome, you are perfectly and wonderfully made. And I, I knit you in your mother's womb. And I created you to be this fabulous gay man that you are. Exactly. 
Yes, yes, yes. And I'm okay with it. And, and you know, and so in my life, I, I often say um, that I am uh, a Christian. Or no, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I say I love Jesus. Right. But I can't identify as a Christian because of all the hypocrisy that I associate with that. And, you know, I I think that's so important at this point in what we're talking about for people who may be listening that have made the decision to separate themselves from the church. Um, First of all, you're not a mortal sinner. You're not at all. And second of all, I think the biggest surprise, and I know the biggest surprise that came to me once I totally separated from that scene and came, got over the emotion of this was my life and now I'm going to make a new life. The biggest surprise to me, because that's not what I've been taught in the church, is that I could still connect to the divine anywhere, anytime. And the first time that that happened to me, I had started reading so many self-help books, so many books on spirituality, because like you, I knew that there had to be more Mm -hmm. feeling into that expansiveness. And I can remember the very, very first time I meditated. I sunk down into myself. It was not hard at all. And I met, I met God. I met the spirit of God inside me as such warm love, pure love. Like I had never, ever felt inside the church that it over, it overcame me. And I just sat there and I cried. It was not sad tears. It was tears of, oh my gosh, I am still loved. I am still valued. Mm-hmm. The God that created the universe loves me. It doesn't matter if I'm in four walls or if I'm outside of four walls. That was the thing for me. Right. And, it, it, you know, going back to scripture, nothing can separate you from the love of no! God. No. Right. Nothing. And it doesn't matter. It, it, Marion Williamson says, we're all living a spiritual life. Yep. Problem is that some of us don't realize it. We just don't realize it, but we all are. There is nothing you can do to separate you from God because God is the very breath inside of you. I just heard this really great quote about um, someone was talking about the spirit and the soul. And someone said, this man said, I can't remember. Jeffrey Allen, I think was his name. He said, we believe, we often say that the spirit dwells within the soul or within the body. Mm -hmm. He said, it's actually the opposite. Your body dwells within your spirit. And I just was blown away by that. My spirit is so large. It's so expansive that it can't even all be physically focused in my body. And in fact, the larger part of who I am is connected with God. It's up there wherever in the ether. That's a mind switch, too. It's a total mind switch. There's a a lady, uh, Dr. Jill Badonsky, and she is a scientist. You can look her up on YouTube. She had a stroke. All accomplished in the science world. I mean, she was really, really doing some amazing things, and she had a stroke. And she tells about her experience of having that stroke and feeling for the very first time the separation of her physical body and the expansiveness of her spirit. And she felt, actually felt, she said she felt the largeness of her tongue because of the stroke, but it wasn't just because of the stroke. It was for the very first time the switch flipped in her mind and she was able to feel her expansiveness that she was not a body. She was a spirit. And, and she did learn to walk. She, you know, went through all the therapy and, and she learned, 
we learned all of the things, but oh my gosh, what a beautiful thing was birthed in her. And she has really run with that, uh, talking about how we are spirits having a human experience. And it really is, it's just a, it's a different perspective. Right. A wonderful perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about your work because I know just a little bit about it because you've shared it right. in, in our classes. So, and if I'm wrong, correct me, but I understand that you help people move out of the story they've been telling themselves. And exactly. Telling the story. And, so, and you do this with yeah. art, right? Because you talk about I do. doing layers of paint on canvas. And, and right. so share a little bit so, about what that's. So started. when I went to college, I went to become an art teacher. And I have been an art teacher for years. Um, but along my journey in learning that I can be spiritual, and I thought there would be days when I would, of course, let me back up. I, I also found out that I have a lineage of energy healers in my family. And when I found that out, um, something, the only thing that I can describe as giddiness rose up inside me. And I knew, I knew it was like something being awakened for the first time. And I really stepped into that fully, which led me down a road of spirituality plus energy healing plus visual art equals energetic portal where things emerge. And that's where my title of the Emerge Guide came into being, and that's what I do. I help people tune into the magic of the portal that we, and the portal that we use can be a sketchbook. In fact, I just recorded something this morning for, uh, for an online retreat that I'm a presenter for, and we use a sketchbook, two-page sketchbook, but it became a portal of sorts that things emerged from. And... I'm a guide who helps people realize things about themselves, reframe, rewire, and rewrite using visual art techniques and spirituality. And um, I think more than anything, it's a pro it's a, it's a process, not a product. And that's a flip of two. And it was a big thing for me working myself through that because going through art college and being a professional artist, we are trained in fine art to produce something that is a product. And when you graduate, you are a professional artist. And if you produce something, it had better be up to standards of fine art or you don't produce it at all. Well, where the, where's the expansiveness in that? Right. There is none. Right. And so after I worked through that and, and started thinking, hey, I have this canvas. I'm feeling pretty crappy today. I want to get these feelings outside of me. I'm just going to write them down on my canvas. The first time that I did that wrote just what I was feeling. I filled the whole canvas up and my left logical brain is going, what in the world? This is the dumbest thing in the, that you have ever done. And my right expansive brain, my creative brain was going, no, just trust the process. Just trust the process. There's some gold here. There's a sweet spot here. And I did. And I would come back to it the next day and I would work through things and I would energetically paint colors and I would energetically create things. And it began to be a process where these beautiful paintings emerged. But it wasn't, I have no idea, no idea what the product was going to be or even if there's a product. And if it hasn't shown me anything else, it has shown me that forcing things to happen, trying to force an outcome. create. Now, let me, let me say this. 
find artists that create and that sketch out. That's cool. It's, and I'm not saying there's anything bad about this, but what I'm saying is in my journey of using visual arts as healing, forcing an outcome takes away the energy of freedom. Mm-hmm. But when we begin and we have no idea where it's going to go, there has not been one client that I have worked with that's walked away and said, that was hogwash. They're always like, I never knew this was possible. This has opened me up. And that's why I say this all. This has opened me up to infinite possibility. And they'll say, what is possible for me now? Right. right. And that, that's the sweet spot. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I love, I mean, as a musician and an and artist myself, I, I do sketches and they're, you know, it's just, I draw because I have to draw. Mm-hmm. If I'm journaling, eventually I'm drawing a doodle of some sort. Right, which right. just comes out of me. It's part of my process of, of um, you know, working through feelings or whatever. Um, it's, it is about the process. And I, my, my major way of expressing myself is, is through music. And I play the piano. And I played for the church for many, many years. and. I would have experiences because I, I can read music, but I would improvise mm-hmm. just in the moment. I would improvise and people would say, you play so beautifully. <laughs> and I would, I would say to them, thank you. And I don't know where it comes from. Right. I don't I've know so where been it there. comes from. Because in that moment, I mean, obviously I'm the one playing it, but I feel like I'm being, I'm being used by God and you I'm are. just, and I'm ex- Expressing something in that moment, and I couldn't probably replicate it. Right. It's always different. It's always about the prayer, right? That's how I pray. You pray on the canvas. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about um, iconography, if you're familiar with that whole um, process where, you know, the monks, and they say they write icons. They don't paint them. They write them. And it's yes. this very prayerful process that takes sometimes years to create one icon and then the the orthodox um, Christians believe that the saint or whoever is is depicted there is attaches their soul or their spirit to that that right. icon and and so it seems to me that so much of what you're doing is just it's, it's, the same it, thing. It is. It's very similar. So yeah, it's it's very similar. Um, and so the energy of okay, so. Let's let's talk about energy for a minute because some of some of the people who are listening may say energy. What is even that about? Okay, so the basics of energy: we are all made of life force energy. It's what gives us life. We all atoms vibrate at a certain speed and a certain frequency to stay together, right? And um, I don't know if um, you know this or not, but this was a real revelation to me because I've always been interested in crystals and their different properties and. Yeah. Somebody said to me, what? I think they're just a bunch of rocks. And I said to them, and this is when another switch turned in my head. Do you know that every single quartz watch that you put on your wrist has a quartz crystal inside of it to keep it attuned to vibrate at a certain speed and to keep it in time? You know, energy matters. It's like walking into a room where your partner or your sibling or your friend has their back turned towards you and you walk in the room and you don't even, they haven't even said a word and you know that they're pissed off about something. That's energy, right? Everything and so is energy. Everything is. If, everything, if, and just to back up, you were talking about atoms. 
everything is absolutely made of atoms. Our body is made of atoms. Our, everything is made of atoms. That's the formless su substance. And yes. you talked about the fact that they're vibrating, right? So mm -hmm. I love quantum physics because I, when I discovered this, my mind was blown. Right. So the electrons are buzzing around so fast that they don't even have a location. I talked about this in the podcast, but I will repeat it. They don't have location. Except, do you know when they have location? When's that? When they're being observed. Wow. Quantum physics has proven that atoms behave differently when they're being observed. I had a friend who is a physicist. Mm -hmm. He's a professor at Mills College. And he and I were having dinner. I told the story on another podcast, but it's just so recently who was so scientific that if it couldn't be proven scientifically it didn't exist so right. nothing spiritual at all because that you know just wasn't scientific we're having dinner right. and i said david i've been reading about quantum physics he gets this kind of look on his face i said i read that atoms behave differently when they're being observed is that true and he said to me jerome that's absolutely true and we don't know why. <laughs> and wow. We don't know why. <laughs> and what's even more amazing about atoms is you took an atom and you blew it up the size of the football field, the football mm -hmm. field. Most of it is empty space. Empty. So that which we think that we experience as solid yes. is really yes. empty space. Exactly. And we're all made of this formless substance. It's everywhere. So, yes, everything is energy. Uh, because is. you're saying it's vibrating. The vibration. Yes, absolutely. And Most as we definitely. think about things, we're sending out those vibrations. And if you're an intuitive person and you walk into the room, and we all have that capability, by the way. Oh, definitely. We just don't, we just don't fine-tune it enough to understand. Right. But I totally am an intuitive. You can walk right. into a room and know that somebody has been talking about you. Oh, definitely. Most and if definitely. it was me, you feel it. If you've been blessed, you feel it. All my right. connected. Right. You know, everything on every level, on some level. Yeah. Right. Well, this energetic so process. Healing, that's awesome. So talk a little bit more yeah. about that. Well, let me tell you a story about the how I infuse energy into artwork and how it's just so amazingly powerful. So I went to a retreat a couple couple years ago where I met uh, some colleagues that I have that we all do the same thing, right? Um, and we met and we just created art all weekend long. It was so amazing. And all of this artwork, it was a huge canvas. It was like a five foot by five foot unstretched canvas so we could bring it back on the airplane. And we painted and we meditated and we laid our hands, all of us, on each other's canvas and put intentions and energetic vibes into that. And I brought it home and I, I loved it so much. It was, a, it was a mandala and it was gorgeous. It was one of my favorite pieces that I've ever painted. And I had a big space up over my bed and I said, I'm going to hang that up over my bed. And I did. And it looked so good with my bedspread. And, you know, it was just, it just looked so nice. Well, I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. And I tossed and I turned and that went on for like three or four nights. And I was talking to one of the girls from the retreat and, and I said, I have not been able to get good sleep since we got back from Kansas. And she said, well, what is going on with you? I said, I have no idea. I've always slept so well in that bed. 
And she said, well, what did you do with your painting? And I said, it's up over my bed. She goes, girl, get that painting down up over your bed. She said, that has got some major vibration energy in it. Happiness, action, joy, and all of this stuff. None of it's restful. Girl, take that painting down and you're going to be able to sleep. And it was like, what? That was really the first thing where (laughs) I knew that this stuff was for real. So I took that painting down. I put it downstairs in my living room. Boom. I was out like a light. So this energetic stuff inside a painting is real. It is so real. And when I create, um, I have so many paintings that I've created that hang in my, in my own home. And some of them are, I've birthed them because this is an energetic journey and it's, it's a path that you birth. You find out so many things about yourself and you infuse intentions and goals into it. Some of those paintings are so dear to my heart. And they hang on my walls. But when the medicine, when the energy and the medicine of those paintings has served its purpose in my life, I always feel a release. It's almost like an energetic cord cutting. There's just a release there. And I know it's time to sell this painting because I know that that medicine, that energetic presence, whatever it is, is meant for someone else. Mm -hmm. And it never fails. Whenever that happens, I will put it up for sale. And within a day, it's gone. Because the person who, who needs it will find it. That's exactly. That reminds me of, um, the, one of the prayers in the, in the course of miracles and Marian Williamson talks about this. She's sort of my guru. I love her, but her prayer every morning is, um, Oh God, um, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? Right. And so, you know, when it's time to release the painting, you do because you, you're so connected to spirit. Yeah. So connected. And, and, and what I think is so clear to me is just the wisdom of God that you had to go through that dark, dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. being, re, you know, cut out from the church, being released from the church right. because it wasn't where you were going to have your fullest expression. Yeah, it's one of those things where you look, going through it, you think this is the worst thing that could happen to me and you find out that it is a release. And this it was such a gift. Oh my goodness. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're getting close to, to having to wrap up, but before we do, I just want to ask you, if, are you familiar with the concept of indigo children? Yes, I am. You are most definitely an indigo. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, pre- I'm grand- pretty positive. Have you, have you done the, looked at the, the qualities? And I think you're probably in the, you said you're 54, so you're probably right in the, the time right. when indigos were born. I've done, I've discovered that I'm an indigo too. Um, I need to do I, that. Maybe that's why we connect so well because the first time. I think time, so. Because you know, I think yeah. indigos recognize each other. And we, indigos right. are people who look at the world and say, no, this isn't right and I need to fix it. Yeah. You knew that something wasn't right with the church and you needed to right. fix it. And you always feel like we're called to something bigger. That's why right. I'm doing this podcast. Yes, and right. And the thing about that is also that we both realize that this thing this thing that we're called to is so much bigger than we are and that's okay. And that's how it's supposed to be. And God will lead us. God will show us how to do it. Cause sometimes right. I get freaked out like, you know, I, oh, you know, 
who are you to think you want to be a spiritual teacher, you know? Right. Who are you, you know? Like, and I always, Marian Williamson is sort of the person that I can look to. Right. Why do you need to do what she's doing? She's already doing it. She's doing it better than you are, than you could. She's written, you know, 18 books that are bestsellers or whatever, right? And I'm like, so then I just have to say, but, you know, I go within myself and God's like, but I'm calling you Jerome. And Marian Williamson's tribe isn't your tribe. Right. You have a different tribe. But, you know, it's like the quote, my favorite quote of Marianne Williamson is, who are, you know, she has that one that says, uh, who are you to be doing this? Who are you to be doing that? And her her response is, who are you not to? Not to be. You are a child of God. You're playing yes. God. Yeah. Yes. That's the most quoted. Um, that's from her book, A Return to Love. And it's the most quoted uh, section of that book. And it was totally viral. And people were saying Nelson Mandela had written it. Um, wow. And Williamson. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Exactly. Yeah. I read that often. And I, you know, one of my favorite lessons in the course is there is nothing my holiness cannot do. And, um, and my other is, um, love created me like itself. Oh, that's beautiful. Or here's another one. The Christ in me cannot be crucified. Oh, wow. That is powerful. The Christ in me cannot be crucified. Yeah. You know, talking yeah. about that seriously makes my, it makes my hair stand up on. Oh, yeah, me my, too. My, it makes me get goosebumps. And, and I have to tell you, since I've done this work, and I still, I still am a practicing Roman Catholic. I, mm-hmm. I describe myself as a lukewarm cafeteria Catholic. Because <laughs> I sort of pick the shoes. But there is something beautiful about going to Mass and, and, kneeling before the Eucharist because we believe right. that that's Jesus totally present, body, soul, mm-hmm. and divinity, and I believe that. But I have to tell you, when I discovered my spirituality and I started reading Neil Donald, Neil Donald Walsh's books, Conversation with God, and Marian Williamson and Studying the Course in Miracles, I felt more and more deeply in love with Jesus oh, than definitely, I yes. ever have because I understand the mystical Jesus yeah. Um, and the, the, the Course tells us that Jesus was, he represents what in us is pure potential. Jesus, there's nothing that Jesus has that we don't have ourselves. The problem is, Jesus had nothing else. Jesus was not, his ego mind was not, didn't exist. He right. lived on earth, but thought only the thoughts of heaven. So the right. leper, the leper was healed because in Jesus's eyes, the leprosy just didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, That's so powerful. we have the ego mind and the ego mind runs rampant. And so right. that's why we can't rise to that level. We have the potential mm-hmm. to. One of my favorite songs by Jamie Camp, I still listen to lots of Christian music, is right. called The Same Power. And it mm-hmm. says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Definitely. And it's so powerful. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for your You're time. You're welcome. Debbie. Thank you. Um, let's let, let <clears throat> listeners know where they can find you. So if someone's been listening to this podcast and they resonated with the work you've done and they, they want to find you, um, first of all, you have a Facebook group called Divinely Unchurched. Right. I do, right? And it's for people, just like we've talked about, who still seek divine connection, but it's outside of the four-walled institution we call the church. Great. 
So that's that's available. And then what about your own website, your email address? If you'd share um, that with listeners, that'd be great. Right. So um, I'm, I have a program ongoing that rotates every eight weeks. I do uh, one-on-one uh, client coaching, um, you know, and it's that whole thing of spirituality combined with art, combined with energy work, uh, tailored to whatever they want to transform in their lives. Um, my website is debbiestroud.com. That's Debbie with a Y and not an IE. DebbieStroud.com. And my, um, I have Instagram, DebbieStroud65. Um, and, but if you go to my website, I have all of my social media links. I have a YouTube, YouTube channel also, and you can get so much free content on there. Um, it's just my heart and my passion to get this message out to, you know, as many people as possible. And Stroud is spelled S T R O U D just in case. Correct. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, so listeners, please check out Debbie's work, find her on, uh, social media, find her website. And before we go, I'd like to just share a poem. Um, this is one of my favorite books. It's called seasons of your hearts. And it's Mm -hmm. by Macrina Viterker, who is a Benedictine sister. Um, but she writes beautifully. And we've been talking a lot about, um, who we are is connected to the being connected to the divine. And so um, this poem is about taking off your shoes uh, for holy ground. My bare feet walk the earth reverently for everything keeps crying. Take off your shoes. The ground you stand on is holy. The ground of your being is holy. When the wind sings through the pines, like a breath of God, Awakening you to the sacred presence, calling your soul to new insights. Take off your shoes. When the sun rises above your rooftop, coloring your world with dawn, be receptive to this awesome beauty. Put on your garment of adoration. Take off your shoes. When the red maple drops its last leaf of summer, wearing its burning bush robes no longer, read between its barren branches and take off your shoes. When sorrow presses close to your heart, begging you to put your trust in God alone, filling you with a quiet knowing that God's hand is not too short to heal you, take off your shoes. When a new person comes into your life, like a mystery about to unfold, and you find yourself marveling over the frailty and splendor of every human being, take off your shoes. When during the Wee hours of the night, you drive slowly into the new day, and the morning's fog, like angel wings, hovers mysteriously above you. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes of distraction. Take off your shoes of ignorance and blindness. Take off your shoes of hurry and worry. Take off anything that prevents you from being a child of wonder. Take off your your shoes. The ground you stand on is holy. The ground you are is holy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thanks so much, Debbie. Thanks You're for welcome. listening. Let's find something wonderful to celebrate today. Most Bye-bye. definitely.